You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Today ushers in the season of Epiphany. The Feast of Epiphany was Friday, January 6th. It is an ancient festival of the church. The earliest records of observing Epiphany date back all the way to the early third century of the Common Era, when the story of Jesus' baptism was the highlight of the festival. Epiphany was once one of the three major holy days of the church, along with Easter and Pentecost. Notice I did not say Christmas. Epiphany, Easter, and Pentecost. Epiphany was a festival of feasting mostly, a celebration of light and hope for the church, The church father, Ambrose of Milan from the 4th century, wrote an epiphany hymn which includes these lofty images. He wrote, O Jesus, highest beacon among shining stars and heavenly orbs, look on us with favor and grant peace, life, light, and truth on all who call on you. It's a rather fitting prayer for the turn of a new year, especially this week as the moon was full and beautiful in the evening skies. I hope you had a chance to glimpse it this past week. Each epiphany, we have one gospel text. For Matthew alone gives us this story of magi traveling from the east. And it's such a familiar story And it's a story that has provided inspiration. It's been a source of wondering and elaboration through the centuries. It's easy, I think, for our imaginations to take the few details that are in Matthew's narrative and run with them. We just sang one of those carols which takes those little details and expands upon them in amazing ways. Notice first, They are not called kings by the gospel writer, no matter what we just sang. The only kings in this story are Herod and Jesus. And that is the key contrast. The magi are not kings, but they are wise men. The gospel writer uses the exotic term of magi to emphasize their otherness. They are foreigners. Think astrologers or stargazers with charts and celestial maps. It's a word from which we get the word magician. And Matthew, I think, wants to invite us to view them as sages, maybe political advisors in that far-off exotic Persian court. Traveling from a distant land, magis have roots in ancient Persia, modern-day Iran, 
one of the countries that's part of the ecumenical prayer calendar this week. Over time, the church drew connections to the Magi with Zoroastrianism, and the Magi suddenly became three, although the gospel is silent on the number of travelers. And the details of the gifts grow as well, traditionally becoming gold, frankincense, and myrrh. One ancient tradition has the three of them coming back for a reunion in Armenia in 54 of the Common Era. There's another tradition that one of the Magi passes away in Armenia. There's a tradition that the relics of the Magi were recovered in the 4th century in Milan, Italy. Don't ask me how they got there. And later they were buried in the shrine of the three kings at Cologne Cathedral. The story just naturally gets expanded upon from generation to generation. It's almost as if the gospel writer intended it that way with its foreign details. Human imagination gets awoken by the exotic nature of the story. And our storytelling nature just takes over. It is their expandable story. The story of these foreigners, the Magi, that invites us to imagine them as stand-ins for us. Or perhaps better, imagine them as traveling companions for us. Alongside the Magi, however many, whether their names were Gaspar, Melchior, or Balthazar, or not, whatever gifts they may have brought, or not, whichever way they may have taken, you and I can take the journey with them, thinking of ourselves as pilgrims too, following the lead of the Spirit as best we can. If we do that, we might notice that the Magi, our fellow pilgrims, were paying attention. In the story that Matthew gives us, it's only the Magi who notice the star in the sky. How many others had been gazing up at the night sky, but it's only the Magi who pay attention. They were looking. Among all the stars in the night skies, they notice the changes. They are open to leading to listening to dreams that break into their unconscious. The Magi's are open to the Spirit, for they see the movements of God among the ordinary, gazing up in the sky, and among the extraordinary as well. They are also open to experiences of awe. We know that feeling, don't we? I was recently listening to a podcast interview with the psychology professor Dr. Keltner, who's written a, a new book called Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. That's a promise, isn't it? But he defines, Keltner defines awe as, quote, the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world whether in the mysteries of the stars or in the wonder present in the life of a young child, the Magi connect those awe experiences and they respond to those moments of awe. 
that awe, that feeling of awe and wonder changes them. And it alters the trajectory of their lives. Now, if we were to rely on our memories, the nativity sets of our youth, the Christmas carol lyrics we sing, we might get important bits of this story from Matthew's gospel wrong. We might put the magi alongside the shepherds that first night visiting a tiny newborn in a rustic manger. But with our expanded reading this morning, we see that Matthew's morbid detail of Herod ordering the murders of children in Bethlehem two years and younger. Matthew is suggesting that the Magi arrived not to find a newborn, but a busy toddler with all the energy and the curiosity and potential that toddlers possess. Nativity sets often have stars over the top of them, right? But the Magi follow the star not to Bethlehem, but to Jerusalem, to the center of human power in that region. And I wonder if perhaps they were second-guessing themselves, tapping on their GPS going, why is it leading us to this tiny little village? Surely we need to go to a palace to find the child born king of the Jews. Or maybe it's just that moments of awe are open to interpretation. They don't map out the future in exact detail, but they simply expand our horizons to what may be possible. As we journey along with the Magi, we recognize that their journey is taken at great risk. If we are to be fellow pilgrims with them, let's be clear, their path is not always easy to follow. Magi go beyond their known boundaries. You may find them wandering far from home with the quest always before them. In the pilgrim story, there's always risk. There's enormous danger when one seeks meaning or searches for power outside of political norms and systems. What their journey does is expose a threat to Herod and also the threat that Herod is to the world. One commentator reflecting on the role of Herod in this story writes, you want to see the heart of someone in power? suggests they are not the center of the universe. The quest of the Magi to find the child-born king of the Jews holds within it a threat to Herod. And he responds with force, brutal, and barbaric ferocity. The scholar Richard Horsley describes Herod's reign of tyranny and exploitation as what today would be called a police state complete with loyalty oaths, surveillance, informers, secret police, imprisonment, torture, and brutal retaliation against any serious dissenter. The Magi and their story in Matthew's Gospel ushers in a dark chapter of this unfolding story of the young Jesus, where the promise and hope of a new baby stirs the worst of human responses. Fear fueled with brute power, all in the service of self-preservation. As we journey 
with our fellow pilgrims, the Magi, they offer us lessons, lessons in humility, too. Even as they are open to the leading of the Spirit, they don't get that detailed roadmap. The twists and turns of their journey are not clearly laid out. And so they stop and they ask for directions. And they gain more information, more wisdom. They adjust their routes. They change their plans. Faithful pilgrims recognize that there is light beyond our known borders, that there is wisdom and traditions different from our own. And the Magi, as our pilgrim guides, invite us to acknowledge God's generous and varied revelations, the glorious diversity of spiritual wisdom that is in the world. Their story celebrates the many faces of God, experience beyond ours. Because notice there's no conversion in this story. They don't leave behind their own traditions. Rather, what the story gives us is a narrative of the expansion of their faith as it encounters the sacred in the stories and traditions of others. Finally, the Magi find themselves in Bethlehem, in the presence of the king they seek. Unlike any other king they have seen, and they fall to their knees in a moment of awe, offering their best gifts, what is most precious to them, to give to the Christ child. The story of the Magi, however, even as it is a story of pilgrimage, of spiritual pilgrimage, has a quite unsatisfying ending, doesn't it? The Messiah enters into the world, reveals God's self, the great glory and brightness of the holy, and few people notice. Few people notice, few people seek out the sacred, few people kneel in the words of T.S. Eliot where prayer has been valid. The world doesn't change. Nothing seems to change at all in this story. Herod still feels threatened, fearful, and cruel. The client king appointed by Rome to keep the peace and to keep the flow of goods and wealth going into Rome. The same man who ordered the death of his brother-in-law, his wife, one of his sons, his, mother, his mother-in-law. He's just as evil as he ever was. Jesus enters into the world and contrary to our deepest hopes, the world remains a dangerous place. Families still suffer. Humanity keeps going to war with one another. Innocent people are still victims of the powerful. The feckless gain power and the vain grasp after fame and fortune. The classic Christmas carol, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, has a third verse which I think captures this notion the verse is part of the original 1849 poem, but it's seldom included in hymns that we sing. But it goes as follows. Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring 
Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. The world doesn't change with this sacred revelation. We do. We do. The Magi, once they have encountered the Christ child and been warned in a dream, they are still paying attention, and they return home by another road. This journey stretches them yet again. How often spiritual pilgrimages surprise us. They lead us to places we would never have considered as possibilities on our own. What journeys await us in this new year? What detours will we need to take? What unnoticed stars do we need to pay attention to? Our world is dangerous, filled with the cynical, the greedy, the power-hungry, and it cries out for human beings willing to follow a different star, one which illuminates the love song of the angels and the liberating compassion of the Christ child. The great Irish poet and author John O'Donohue wrote, I believe that now is the time to invoke and awaken beauty, Because in a sense, there is nowhere else left to go. And because the situation in which we are in has actually been caused substantially by our denial of beauty. In a way, all of the contemporary crises can be reduced to a crisis about the nature of beauty itself. When you look at postmodern society, It is absolutely astonishing how much ugliness we are willing to endure. How much ugliness are we willing to endure in our own lives, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our nation, in the world? If we take up Matthew's invitation to join the Magi on this pilgrimage, if we intend to seek out another way, following moments of awe, taking up with the great risk, doing so with humility and kindness, always being nimble, being adaptive as situations change, perhaps just perhaps we might begin the journey heeding John O'Donohue's words, rejecting ugliness, unkindness, and hatred. Let us set aside those situations which cultivate unkindness and cruelty, and let's embrace God's realm led by a light of peace, fueled by a love that refuses to let death and hatred have the last word. How might we begin this pilgrim journey? The poet Anne Weems suggests we find direction not from our own striving, but rather from being open to the leadings of the holy. She writes, into this silent night, as we make our weary way, we know not where, Just when the night becomes its darkest and we cannot see our path, just then is when the angels rush in, their hands full of stars. 
Life does not come with detailed maps. And in uncertain times, the humility of radical openness to the movement of the holy may just be the fresh breeze we need. Our congregation has long offered Star Words as a guide for spiritual practices, starting on Epiphany. And Star Words can offer guidance. They can be food for thought, encouragement, motivation for us. Now, there's nothing magical about Star Wars, but just as magi followed stars, perhaps we might find something in them to lead us as well. So here in front on the communion table are Star Wars, and I will invite you in a little bit to take one of those cards. You can come up during communion, if you like, or after our worship service is concluded. Now, you may be tempted to look for a particular word to rummage through, but I invite you to trust the word you take. Star words can be prayer prompts. They can lead us to reflection. We can learn to listen for the invitation contained in that word for us. You may want to react with your star word in some way, maybe create something, paint or write. You may want to put your star word on the mirror or on your fridge. Maybe you might want to share what you learn with someone. And if you're worshiping at home, again, I invite you to join in too by choosing a number between 1 and 162. That's a lot of star words, isn't it? And send us an email or a message with your number and we'll send a star word back to you. And also sign you up for those reflections, questions, if you want. The story of the Magi's journey begins simply with openness. Openness to the holy, to the possibilities of transformation in our lives. Openness to the risk of following after the sacred, even when we're not sure where that path may lead us. But as Anne Weems assures us, trust that when we most need it, angels rush in, their hands full of stars. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.